Thank you for joining us for this message today. If you're new to the church or want to connect in any way, check us out at harborcitychurch.org. We would love to connect with you. Thank you so much. And with that, let's jump into the message. I am really glad to be here today. Of course, uh, Pastor Doug and Lois are on, um, they're up in uh, Oak Harbor, that's right, and they're preaching up there, and so we, we of course, miss them whenever they're gone, uh, but they're up there ministering, and, and I'm sure God has given them an amazing word for the church there. In fact, in the middle of service, my phone went off, and uh, Pastor had messaged and said he's praying for us here today, and uh, so that's pretty cool. So if you've been with us the last several weeks, our pastor has been ministering along the lines of essentials in crazy times. How many of you have been able to be a part of those messages? Okay, good, good. So I wanted to continue with that. And when he talked to me several weeks ago and said, here's the series I want to go into, I thought, wow, my goodness, that is just an amazing series, just essentials in crazy times. And how many of you have kind of clued in, we're kind of living in some pretty crazy crazy times. These are crazy. These times are certainly putting a demand on our faith, aren't they? A demand on our faith, challenging what and who we know. I know for me, it's a daily battle of keeping my mind in the game and not letting the enemy get away with what he wants to put in there, right? It's that whole casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so when the thought comes in and it looks foreign, I just say that's not supposed to be here. That's not part of my message this morning. That's free. I won't charge you for that one. So uh, over the last couple of weeks, as I mentioned, Pastor Doug's been focusing on the essentials. The first thing he talked about was take heed to understand deception in crazy times, and and I'm sure that we've been fighting with that. Uh, Don't be agitated is an essential in a crazy time, and I don't know about you, but I have to fight that off too. Uh, Endures to the end is an essential in crazy times. Number four, a conviction that I must share the gospel with the time I have left with all the nations. I mean, in these crazy times, I don't know about you, but if I was on the other side of this and I didn't know Jesus, I'd be looking for answers. I I really would. I'd be saying, you know, there's got to be something more than what I'm currently seeing, so I need answers. And the last uh, point that he brought up was stand up and look up. Stand up and recognize who we are in Jesus. Look up and realize that he's with us and he's moving with us. He's going, he's for us. And he mentioned this, he said, essential means absolutely necessary, indispensable. And I can honestly say that my relationship with Jesus right now is indispensable. Wouldn't you say that? I I don't know how anyone is making it right now without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I desperately need that in my life on a daily basis. Sean and I go on walks quite frequently throughout the day. And as we're going, we're praying and we're saying, God, please help us through these types. Help us that we would shine your light in such a way people are going to see what it is we have and want what we have in their own lives. So I've got several scriptures that I want to bring to you this morning, and some may or may not be on the overhead. So I would recommend that you open your Bibles, open your phones, whatever you have your Bible on. And I want to start by presenting to you a prayer that Paul prayed uh, to, for the Philippians in chapter 1. And I'm in chapter 1, verse 9. 
And says, he says, this is my prayer for you. Now, this is an amazing prayer. And so I just wanted to establish the foundation here. He says that your love will grow more and more. And how many of you know our love's getting challenged right now? <laughs> it is. Mine is. That you will have knowledge and understanding with your love. That you will see the difference between, watch this, what is important and what is not, and choose what is important. I don't know about you, but the word important to me says essential, right? It's essential. And Paul's saying we need to have the wisdom to know what's important and then what to put our hands to and what pull our hands back from. That you will be pure and blameless for the coming of Christ. That your life will be full of the many good works that are produced by Jesus Christ to bring glory and praise to God. Amen? That's a, that's a good prayer. I received that prayer. So, as we set the stage here, I, I'm going to be ministering from a story that I, in all the years that I've been ministering in different degrees, I don't know as I've ever preached from this particular story out of, of Mark. It's actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to look at the story in context in uh, Mark's gospel. So, if you want to go to Mark's gospel, chapter 5, we're going to pick up the story in verse 24, and so let me set the stage for this. Get the picture. Jesus had just unloaded from a boat. He had just finished delivering a man from a legion of demons. Uh, and that guy was delivered from a legion of demons and became an instantaneous evangelist. He went to 10 towns and began to minister what Jesus had done in his life. And then the people were so excited about what he did, they kicked him out. They literally kicked him out. He got on a boat. Uh, he went back to Galilee. He got off the boat. He no sooner got off the boat, and he was crowded by all these people. Were, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And people were crowding around all around him. And in the middle of this whole scene, uh, this, this gentleman who's rich and, and has a lot of, of uh, influence and respect, he was a leader of the synagogue, and he came up, and he got on his face, and he said, Jesus, I beg you, my daughter is on her deathbed. Please come and heal her. And he said, well, let's do it. Paraphrasing, of course. And he said, let's go. And in the midst of this, people are bumping into him, trying to get near him, trying to touch him. Now, here's where we pick up the story. Look at verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. They were all around him. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, now notice in verse 29 it says immediately, and then in verse 30 it says immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now if you look in verse 24, it says he was being thronged, he was being mauled, he was, people were all around him. And the disciples were pretty indignant at this point. But the disciples said, you see the multitudes thronging you? And you say, who touched me? 
Think about the story. All around. Who, 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 who did that? Who, who touched me? Now, it was a rhetorical question because he is God after all. He, he knows who touched him. But he's waiting for the person to come forward. Watch. Let's pick this up. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Isn't that cool? The, she's, she's laid out the whole story. And that's how we were able to, to read this story. Is she gave the whole story. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke were able to write down the story of what had happened. It says, and he said to her, watch this. It's a relationship here. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus steps into your life and he says, son, daughter, what's that do to your heart? When you realize, you realize he wants relationship with you because he loves you. Now, remember, let's get the scene. He's got this wealthy, respected, very rich synagogue leader leading him into a place where the, the guy's daughter is dying and he stops to help this woman. Watch this. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is a fascinating story. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to land this story on every heart today in one way or another through the points that we're going to go through. It's filled with lots of intrigue, lots of moving parts, things going all around, all these thoughts going through people's minds, lots of action, lots of emotion, lots of fear. There's faith, there's anguish, there's concern, and there's wonder. And so as I was reading through that story, because I had like, 15 other things I thought I was going to speak on this morning, and yet I felt like the Holy Spirit directed me to this. And I thought, how in the world am I going to bring this out when we're talking about essentials? And the more I read it, the more I realized, wow, there's an essential here that we need to see. And this, this is for all of us in this room. This is for those of us who have known God for years and years and years, and for those of us who just started, and for those of us who don't know him yet. This is for us today. Here's an observation of a person in desperate need. Point number one, she was desperate. Well, how do you know she was desperate? Well, when you look at verse 25, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but was growing Worse, she had a hemorrhage that was apparently incurable, slowly destroying her. Can you imagine what it is doing to her demeanor? What about the neighbors wondering what in the world's going on with this woman? Think about it. And she'd spent it all. She was down to, I don't know what else to do. What, you can only imagine the pain, the emotional pressure that sapped her strength day after day, waking up going, I've got to deal with this again. She heard of a doctor who had a cure. She went to the, get the doctor's cure and nothing happened. I mean, nothing, nothing seemed to work. When you consider how many disappointments with the doctors and the poverty, poverty it brought her, 
you wonder how in the world did she endure for so long? 12 years, that's a long time, day in and day out for 12 solid years. But here's the deal when it comes to this day. Every one of us have had a this day in our life. I can go right back to the day and the hour and the place and the environment when I said yes. And it was my day. It was that was my day. That day changed my life. This day changes her life. Desperation drove her beyond her fear, beyond her pain, and beyond her torment. And I'm going to bring up a scenario here in a minute regarding this story that we may not consider considering where she was at and what she was in and what was happening to her body. Desperation drove her beyond her looks, uh, the looks the, from the, the, uh, those who knew her current condition and the whispers behind her back. What's she doing here? Number two, point number two, she heard. When she heard about Jesus, that's what brought me to Jesus. When my roommate got saved in the backseat of a police car, <laughs> my ears perked up, and I watched the change in his life, and the change in his life, and what I heard about Jesus from his life is what brought me to Jesus. She, isn't that good? She heard. Look at this. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the, in the crowd and touched his garment. She kept saying to herself, that she had to touch his clothes in order to be healed because that's what she heard. It's the only thing she knew. She just knew she needed to get there. She needed to touch him. She heard she was, he was in town. And there were many people who had been healed at this point. And she's like, if he can do that for them, maybe he can do it for me. She had heard reports of others being healed by Jesus. So she made this one great attempt to get through to the Savior. And so what did she do after she heard number three? She followed and she took a risk. When I said yes to Jesus, I took a risk. I don't know about you, but I had to count the cost. I was in the army. <laughs> I was stationed with about 16 other guys fresh out of Vietnam. I was the, the newbie on campus, so to speak. And I'll never forget the next morning when I walked in after that glorious night on August 24th, 1976. I'll never forget the look on the guy's face when I walked in and I had us, apparently my face was glowing. I didn't even use rouge or whatever that is you use. <laughs> the lights were on, I mean, and the smile was wrapped three times around my ears and this one guy looks at me and he says, what happened to you? And I literally lit up. I said, I gave my life to Jesus last night. And his response was less than stellar. It was, oh, no, we have a Jesus freak. <laughs> I will never forget that day. Jesus interrupted my life. And I'm convinced I would have never met my wife. That rhymed. <laughs> She took a risk. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. There was, there, there was an added burden in what she did in the community that she was a part of. According to the law, she was considered ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean 
which greatly restricted both her religious and civil activities. She couldn't go out in public. She was basically a leper. And a leper, when they went into a crowd, had to walk through the crowd, unclean, unclean, so people would get away. She was unclean for 12 years, not one month, not one day, but 12 years. And so she had to take that into consideration when she left her house that day after hearing that Jesus was around. And she had to, she had to walk through the midst of the, the looks and the stares and the whispers. And what's she doing here? She had to walk through all that fear, all that doubt, all that stuff to get to the one who would be the essential in her life. She let nothing stand in her way. Now, if you... Just write it down. It might be up there. In Leviticus chapter 19, um, uh, chapter 15, verse 19 and 25. I'm not going to go there, but it talks about this whole idea of, of, of a woman who is in their cycle or they have an issue like she has, that they are considered unclean. And so they understood the law. They understood what needed to happen and so she meandered out with that in mind that I've got to do this. I've got to touch him. And I don't know. Here's the deal. I don't know what Jesus' response is going to be to me, but i got to step out anyway. i got to step into this anyway. I don't know what people are going to say, and I'm sure they're saying a lot, but I've got to do this anyway. The night I got saved, I had to take into consideration what this was going to do to my career. He said, come on. No, I'm serious. What this was going to do to my relationships where I was working how I was going to handle that moving forward, I had to take all of that into consideration. I counted the cost, and I thought, you know what? For the, st I'll use stuff, for the stuff I've been going through over the last several years, I need Jesus. Amen? I need Jesus. So what did she do? Oh, here's the deal. She was a, by herself, I, I realized in a crowd, but there was no man escorting her. She was by herself, and she did the absolute unthinkable. She reached out and touched him. She reached out and touched him. She was a woman, a single woman with no escort, and she touched a man. She had to t consider the cost. See, listen, folks, we don't understand the culture that day and time, but she did everything wrong in the eyes of man. She did everything she should have never done in the eyes of man, according to the law, according to religion, and all that kind of stuff. Now look at this in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now tell me, is that ever a statement of faith or what? All I got to do is touch him, and I'm going to be made whole. Now, the word that she used was well, which is an interesting term, and we'll get to that in just a second. She could have used any number of excuses to convince herself to stay away from him or even go out for that day. She might have said, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help, or look, he's going with Jairus, so I won't bother him now. I mean, can you look at this? Look at the story. As she's walking toward him, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is standing there, and Jairus gets down and starts to beg. And could you imagine what's going through? Oh, no, my chance to get healed is ruined. 
He's got a person of respect. I wonder if he'll even notice me. She's, I've got to get through the crowd, and she's pushing through the crowd to get to him. I'm not that important. She could have argued that nothing else had helped her, so why try again? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have ever been there? I, I just, I, everything I've tried doesn't work. I wonder if this will. She might have concluded that it was the right to come to uh, Jesus as her last resort after visiting all those physicians, that I might as well. What have I got to lose? I mean, one of two things can happen. Worst case scenario is they stone me to death for being out here alone, a woman unclean, by myself, and I touched a man. It's a lot to consider. And why would he want to pay attention to me when he has this guy that is respected, he's rich, he's got everything going for him, and yes, he has an issue going on at home. His daughter is sick and on the deathbed, and so Jesus is probably not even going to pay attention to me. However, she laid aside all the arguments and excuses and came by faith to Jesus number five. And here's the reason. She thought, as some of your translations say, um, she said, uh, and, and so depending on what translation, it's the same idea. She thought, she thought within herself, and she said within herself, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So all I got to do is touch Jesus, and I will be made well. Our thoughts play a big part in the faith uh, on our path moving forward, don't they? Our thoughts really do. That's why Scripture says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's why the Scripture says to cast down imaginations. That's where the enemy gets us, right? And remember, several weeks ago, back in September, we talked about Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 about the weapons of our warfare and about putting on the whole armor of God and that we need to put on the helmet of salvation to protect what we're thinking so that we're thinking thoughts of faith and not what the enemy would try and throw at us. Number six, here's what happened when she reached out. She received and felt. She received and felt. Now watch. I want you to, this is a little bit longer of a reading, and I know we've read it already, but it, it helps us to get it back in. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up in verse 29, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth, told him the whole story, everything that she's gone through. Now let me stop just for a second there, and now think about this. Jairus is standing there thinking, we got to get to my daughter. She's not doing well. Jesus was not going to be interrupted. And so there's some, some anxiety in the crowd, but Jesus wasn't going to be interrupted. He, he, had a, he had another thing that he needed to do before he went to do the other thousand things he was going to do after this thing. And this thing to him was an important thing, right? And you need to hear that. You're important to Jesus. Every one of you, are, you're important to Jesus. Some of you need to hear that this morning. 
Because you're going through something and you can't put your finger on it and you're wondering where God is in the midst of it and he's right there. Right? He's right there to touch your life. The woman planned to slip away and get lost in the crowd. But Jesus turned and stopped and, and, and looked at her. Tenderly, he elicited from her a, an incredible testimony of what the Lord had done for her. So why do you think Jesus did it publicly? Well, to acknowledge what Jesus has done to the people that were around, to hear the testimony. Her tests became a testimony. You know, in Revelation, it says, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. People can argue about your theology. They can argue about what you think about what the Bible says. They can argue, but they cannot argue your testimony. Because your testimony is your experience in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and nobody can take that away from you. Amen? So why, why did he not just simply permit her to remain anonymous and go her way? For one thing, he did it for her own sake so that she could rec- recollect what Jesus had done within her. And he did it for the sake of the crowd. And I also think he did it for the sake of Jairus. Compare and contrast for just a second. Compare and contrast. Here's Jairus, rich, respected, synagogue leader. She's poor, broke, broken, fill in the blank. Everything on the opposite end of that. Compare. His daughter is dying. This is the last hope. Now dig this. She's 12 years old. Compare. How long, how long has she been in this? For 12 long years. She's ready to die because there's nothing else that's going to help her. After 12 years, this, this young lady's 12 years old and is about ready to die. Well, if you read the rest of the story, you find out she did, but then she didn't. <laughs> Two amazing things happened that day. Amen? Two amazing things. He wanted her to look into his face, feel his tenderness, and hear his loving words of assurance. And I put a challenge out to us today because I think you can agree that he wants to be more than the level of relationship we currently have with him. Every one of us, right? I mean, that's something that our pastors tell us over and over and over and over and week after week after week after week. Go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. Don't settle for right where you're at. Keep going. Keep pressing in. Number seven, she was made well. Now, some of your Bibles, how many of your Bibles say that she was made well? Okay. How many of yours, uh, your Bible maybe says that she was made whole? In the, in the King James, it's interesting because it actually uses the word whole. Here's what it says here. It says in the New King James, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And I got to looking at that word, and I thought, what, what would be unique? Why would it be listed as made well or made whole? 
And so I looked at it in the Greek, and it says sozo. <laughs> it's the word sozo, and it means to save. <laughs> to deliver or protect, to heal, to preserve, and to make whole. The idea of save. Now watch this. By the time he finished speaking to her, and she had felt that she had gotten healed, she experienced something more than physical healing. He called her, remember I pointed this out, he called her daughter. What does daughter indicate? Relationship. It indicates I'm your father. Daughter. Isn't that cool? It says, so he, he, he brought her into relationship and he sent her on a way with a benediction of peace. So in other words, to be made whole meant much more than receiving physical healing. Jesus had given her spiritual healing as well. Not only did she get healed, but she got born again right on the spot. When she reached out by faith and touched him to get what the only thing she thought she was going to get, she got the essential of the essentials. (laughs) You get it? See, in the midst of these crazy times as we're talking about all these things going on, we need to consider what the essential of the essentials are. And so I thought, what's the application of these seven points? And I did my best to put it in a single sentence, and it won't be up there. Sorry, folks. (laughs) Here's what I came up with is stay in an attitude of desperation for Jesus, hearing his word, following him and taking a risk, thinking thoughts of faith, receiving what he gives us, accepting that you have been made whole, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? You okay with that? Well, that's good. What I found is that when Jesus steps in the path of our lives, he always does more than we can imagine. Now, I want to close with this final scripture um, and it's out of Philippians. One of, my favorite book is one of the, one of the 66, um, is Philippians chapter 3. And it's a little bit lengthy of a reading, but I want to I read it and really let it get into us because Paul, in the, in, in, as he's in prison, and he is uh, coming up with this book to the Philippians, he gives this encouragement to them. And I felt like we really needed to hear this because he's talking about that which is really essential in our lives. And, you know, we have a lot of good things going on, don't we? I and mean, there's a lot of things that, that we're dealing with. But he, he, he gives us the essentials. And here we go. In chapter 3 and verse 7, if you're following along, I'm reading from the New King James. And it says, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ... Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. 
and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am, and this is, let me stop there just for a second. This is what I was referring to earlier is not settling for where you're currently at in him, but being willing to go deeper, being willing to press in, go beyond where you're currently at, go beyond what you currently know and take in more so that you can know him more. Okay? But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great scripture? The fact that Paul is calling us, encouraging us, challenging us to get to know God more than we currently do. To identify that one thing. Identify what that is that's important. Identify that which is the essential of essentials. And he is the essential of essentials. Are we desperate enough to do what it takes to know God? That's a question. That is the essential of essentials, not just in crazy times, but at all times. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We have a lot of great resources for you over at harborcitychurch.org. Come check us out, and I hope you have an awesome week.